It's December 18th, 2018. This is Acacia Thompson for Greenpoint Oral History Project for Brooklyn Public Library's Our Streets, Our Stories. I'm here on Bedford Avenue with Peter Gillespie. Hi, Peter. Hi, Acacia. Hi. So I'm really interested to hear your story about being a founder of Neighbors Allied for Good Growth, NAG, and uh, the work that you've done on the waterfront in this community. Sure. Um, I'd like, could I, I would like to start maybe a little bit before the founding of NAG because that's part of its history and it's part of my connection to the formation of NAG. Um, and my wife and I moved into the neighborhood in 1982. We had bought an abandoned building. We had spent six years uh, of our life and all of our resources trying to fix it up. And I remember there was one evening in this, I think it was 1988 in fact, it's about six years later, I woke up in the middle of the night and the, the building, the, the apartment was filled with a, an, an extraordinary odor of rotting garbage. And it was the first time I had smelled that, something like that, and it was intolerable. And I traced, I got up in the middle of the night and I, I, I followed the smell down to the waterfront. And that was my first awareness of the fact that a trestable garbage transfer station had taken up home on our waterfront three blocks away from our home. And I remember that night I started yelling at the guys that they thought I, they were amused by me. Um, uh, I started yelling at them and they sort of dismissed me. And um, shortly thereafter, I spoke with a friend of mine uh, who was a video, uh, video videographer, Hank Linhart, about what I had seen when I walked down there. And he it was his suggestion that maybe we should begin to, why don't we document this? Let's, let's try to document and figure out what it's go what's going on. So we started to do that, and then we formalized it by creating a, a video project called Renew, Renew Video, and specifically we were focused on garbage transfer stations, first here on the north side waterfront, but then when we soon realized that this was, um, this was a, a development process that was taking place in all of the old industrial neighborhoods throughout the city, Red Hook, um, Williamsburg, South Bronx, and so it became a more expansive project. Um, so that it was in the course of developing that video project and using it as documentation of what was taking place throughout the city. It was out of that um, initial effort. There was some success, but its failures, I would say, the fact that nothing changed over course of around six years because between 1988 and 1994 when NAG was formed, Renew was documenting this, uh, this, this transformation of the, of the industrial waterfronts in New York City. And we had gotten some recognition. We even showed the, showed the video at, New York, at, at the mayor, at, 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 at City Hall to a host of agency heads. Um, and there was discussion throughout the city of what to do about the garbage issue. And specifically in our case, the, the commercial garbage transfer station issue. But basically nothing had changed in the course of that six years. And then I found myself in the basement of, I think, St. Peter and Paul's Church, I believe, on, on North 6th Street. I think it's a condominium now. But I found myself in a church with uh, other people who had similar experiences I had. You know, the, the smells, the 18-wheel the, 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 the trucks, the, the rodents, the dust. And they were fed up. They, 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 had, they had gone to, the, you know, to their representatives and the community board. And even though everyone was sympathetic to our cause, nothing was changing. And so it was that it was that evening that in nineteen, you know, 
1994, that group of neighbors who had never, who were not, you know, were not trained organizers, had never met each other in most cases before, came from completely different backgrounds and histories, you know, which was sort of extraordinary in itself. We we decided to let's 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 stop this. Let's or let's try to stop this, or let's try to change this together. And that's how uh, Neighbors Against Garbage was formed in a church basement in, in, in St. Peter's Falls Church, uh, 1994. And who was involved? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, there was a lot of people there. The, the, the key people that, um, the people that sort of um, were sort of leaders, leaders, the leadership of uh, Neighbors Against Garbage at that point, we were fortunate because we had... Um, we, there was one trained organizer from the South Bronx, Andy Van Kloon, and he was, so he knew, he had some experience organizing neighborhoods, he had some familiarity about this power structure in the city, he had some um, great insight, which was that although the community boards and local neighborhoods were oftentimes allies of neighbors, they had very little power, and so the the, the, the power of an organized neighborhood was not was not so much to just operate through the existing power structure, but to act independently on your own to make your voice heard. And that was like sort of the that was sort of like our guiding light, our the sort of the way in which we determined what we were going to do and not do. This idea that we were independent neighborhood with a justified cause that we were going to address in our own way and our own terms and then there was uh you know the, the michelle rodeker and jim rodeker there they they've been here for they still live here i believe you know three generations uh at least maybe more um there was other other people too um uh, um yeah, there was a, there was a whole bunch of people. Those are those are sort of the key, there was some key people that did sort of the you know stained work in the organizing effort. Right, and so the waste transfer stations and uh, the waterfront garbage that was the main issue in the beginning. Can you tell me a little bit about besides the videos what you did beforehand? What did you what was the what, what unified you in the in the beginning of NAG? Was that the main issue? Yeah, that was that was the issue. The issue was. We felt as if it was an both an environmental issue because of all of the negative effects on the residential neighborhood. I mean, the commercial garbage transfer station, which handled both attressable rotting garbage and other commercial garbage. Right? The fact that they could be located so close to residential neighborhoods without seeming any regulation seemed to be an environmental and a land use issue. You know, and so. We, we wanted to change that. Um, we wanted to understand that. Um, and so that was, the, that was the, initially, that was the focus uh, for Neighbors Against Garbage. And so what kinds of things did you do to, to, to fight that problem? Um, it, was a, it was a sustained effort for several years. Um, we, it, was, it was a constant, it was extraordinary the amount of energy people had. It was a constant uh, process through which we organized uh, events, rallies, post postcard campaigns, um, petitions, uh, meetings with uh, you know meetings with our elected officials, 
with city representatives, constantly interacting with the community board because they were they were our allies, right? But at the same time, we kept our independence from them so we can do things that they couldn't do. Um, we all we also did you know some of these rallies and events we did right on the site. We were very confrontational, um, and we were unrelenting. That was the thing. We just we just kept we 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 the. the it wasn't. It wasn't so much a plan. It was mostly out of just this sense of um, we we were justified in, um, in 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 our we felt justified in the work that we we're doing. So we just kept um, we just kept this the, the 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 idea that some there was a problem here that had to be addressed. We kept it in the sort of public eye. Um, that was our that was our sort of our um, our organizing effort and process and it was uh, it was effective it turned out to be very effective and what kind of successes did you have well we we eventually we closed down you know we were able within a couple years we were, we were first able to get some of the existing regulations enforced you know simple regulations like the pile the height of the pile of the petrusable garbage and the dust or you know the, the dust coming into the neighborhood there was certain these were these were these were regulations on the book, on the books that um, were that were now because of our efforts enforced additionally. But then we were able to close down the operation. Um, it, it, it's complicated because it wasn't closed down. It wasn't closed down directly because of our efforts. It was closed down because of the ties of the ownership of that particular facility with organized crime. And now we are in, you know, we're talking about the beginnings of the Giuliani administration, right? So there was, um, there was a, a city hall was obviously with Giuliani's leadership. They were investigating the mob and the mob was connected to the, gar the commercial garbage transfer uh, business. So they were closed. So, you know, I think part of, I think we played a role in that because we, we put a spotlight on the sort of the, the, the injustice and the problems of locating these facilities so close to residential neighborhoods, and that seemed to correspond with this other effort by City Hall to, to investigate mob ties and the commercial garbage transfer station business. So they closed down, but the Giuliani administration immediately reopened the facility over uh, under new corporate ownership, right, coming from a USA Waste, which was the second largest Carter in North America took over the facility and took over the operation and it was and so it, it just it was seamless it was a seamless transition from one garbage transfer station operator to another what location are we talking about uh, north Nine. north no north fourth street and, um, and on the waterfront in Williamsburg so we had so so we weren't able to even celebrate this victory so the so the the Neckbau facility was closed down and it was immediately reopened under new corporate ownership with some promises that it was going to be different, but nothing changed. Um, and so we kept, we, so we, 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 we continued our fight. And now what we were, now we are a little more sophisticated because we realized that um, the initial, the initial insight was that Neckbau had never, the original garbage transfer station had never operated under a legal permit. They op operated under a, some sort of cons so called consent decree with the 
Department of uh, Environmental Conservation state agency. So they didn't have a permit to operate, but they had a they had an agreement with the state to, to handle this kind of this, you know, percentage of the commercial uh, garbage. Uh, so with, with the transfership of ownership, we made a case. We said, well, this is a whole new entity now. They don't have a permit and they shouldn't be allowed to operate without the permit. And so we were able to we we, we were able to sort of introduce kind of a legal a legal aspect to the fight as well as by that time this the issues that we were addressing in in Northside Williamsburg were this were being um, the same issues that were being being confronted in other neighbors like Red Hook and the South Bronx and so uh, within a couple of years there was a citywide there was a city we had joined by that time within a couple of years uh, citywide organizing effort to look at this comprehensively like the city needs to have a comprehensive waste plan there's environmental justice issues how these things are going to be regulated um, and so we this this legal battle was now being fought not only in this neighborhood you know legal and environmental justice battle not only in this neighborhood but citywide and we were now um, coordinating our efforts with our with allies in Red Hook and South Bronx there's an umbrella organization um, with with some some you know very well trained organizers and legal resources to be able to help us fight this and so within a, within a couple of years we USA Waste was was closed down and and we won so we won the battle in this neighborhood other neighborhoods didn't fare as well as as we did but there was what grew out of that effort was a citywide comprehensive waste plan, right, um, which was much better than than what existed before. It addressed it, it addressed environmental justice issues and land use issues, uh, and also it, it you know the city at that time also there's a transition taking place. The waterfront now is being viewed as a, a real resource and asset as opposed to a, a, dump, a dumping ground. So. There was a shift taking place as well as how the city, you know, city planning viewed the waterfront, right? So. All right. Well, also, NAG was involved in with trying to fight Radiac. Yeah, there were other there was there were other issues too. Radiac was one of them. Um, you know, again, that was sort of an ongoing issue. That was a sustained battle. Um, not uh, not particularly successful. I'm not sure where Radiac uh, Radiac uh, they might even still be there. As far as I know, they're still there. Right. right. Um, and I don't you know even though there was that was it seemed like there was obstacles. The obstacles in that case, you know, the, 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 it's a little unclear to me why we were not able to be successful in in that case. Mm-hmm. Um, the other part of the story, of course, is that there was not only this citywide effort. You know, so NAG started out in this, you know, very specific issue. We joined the citywide effort. We also began to think about planning issues, you know, community planning. What role can a community play in the planning of its neighborhood? And in our case particularly, how do we integrate the, the abandoned industrial waterfront into our neighborhood? That became like a, a central goal of NAG as well as community at large. And so we, we engage we began to engage in the city this kind of community planning process. Um, you know, we created extraordinary, Greenpoint and Williamsburg created extraordinary community plans. The problem is, is that the implementation, we, you know, the city 
the city only they sort of cherry picked what they 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 they, they cherry picked the what the interests of the city were that corresponded to the communities but they left aside i think the central the central issues that the community wanted in the community planning process was to integrate the waterfront back into the neighborhood the existing neighborhood right we wanted it to be a mixed use mixed income uh, development we wanted there to be open space affordable housing we didn't we wanted we saw the community planning process not as a as a way in which to uh, to to provide more resources and opportunities for the people who are already living and working here um, we saw it as a, a, a way in which we could perhaps control, this is our, we were naive, I think, a way in which we could control what seemed to be this kind of um, citywide uh, gentrification process taking place in these, in these old industrial waterfront neighborhoods. We thought, we thought that maybe community planning, we could actually direct that process. And that was our hopes. And that was what the outcome of our community plans, you know, dictated, right? We wanted the improvements to benefit the people that lived and worked here. And of course, the city implementation of that plan was very different, right? And you, and you can see the change, you know, since then the changes have been, you know, dramatic and escalating, right, since then. So at the end of the day, you know, I'm not sure what the lesson is. Um, you know, we, I think if I was to, you know, I think if I was to do it all over again, I think, um, you know, it's un I, I don't think that planning, we thought planning was kind of this panacea. I think we, we were very naive. We thought that somehow the city was going to act in good faith in relationship to the community's efforts. And they, and they didn't. They had, their own, they had their own priorities. They had their own agenda. They have, you know, because of the decentralization of power in the city, they had all the power, you know. Um, and so we were kind of steamrolled at the end. I mean, we, we got some, there were, you know, we got, a, we got a park space and we've got, we got some, some, uh, very small percentage of affordable housing. We got some, some restrictions on the heights and densities of the upland areas, you know, so it wasn't a complete failure, but the, the goal of the community, we, we didn't want to, we, you know, we, it, we were, we didn't see ourselves as marginal actors. We really felt as if, you know, this broad coalition of of people um, who had worked on this stuff for years, we really felt that we had a right to, to say what our neighborhood should be and how it should develop and who it should develop for, and and the city the city didn't didn't agree with that. Right. Right, and you've been here in Williamsburg since the early eighties. Yeah. And tell me about, I mean, the obvious changes. There are many, but your experience here. Oh, um, that's a great question. Um, I mean, the, the, the great thing about the neighborhood when I moved in here, although the neighborhood was, you know, was in trouble, right? Um, it was in trouble because of, I would say because of previous city, you know, this city decisions. Um, you know, the city, uh, the, the city, I think, saw this, this neighborhood as, um, you know, there was, if you, rec I don't know if you know the history of the, the struggle for the people's firehouse, for example, that, the city, the city, the city redlined the neighborhood so so people couldn't they didn't have access to you know to, to mortgages and business loans. Um, there was kind of a 
they tried to close down the firehouse. They, they I, I think the city's view of it was this was kind of a backwater and that the people that lived here and worked here, it was going to become, I think they, I think they saw it as a, as kind of a, as an industrial area that was going to service Manhattan, right? So, but in fact, what it was, was a mixed use neighborhood in which people, working class people, lived and worked in the same neighborhood. And it was actually was a very organically developed and it was pretty, and it was a, and it actually worked, right? It was, except the city started to, the city saw it differently and the city started to put in place um, or not follow the rules uh, in order to undermine the neighborhood, right? And, it's, it, be, and it began to decline. Um, as, but at the same time, when we moved out here, there was still that, there was still this sense of a neighborhood. There was still this sense it was worth fighting for. It was still the sense that it was something valuable here that should be, it should be supported. It should be developed. It should be promoted. This idea of you know, you know, working class and middle class people living and working together in a neighborhood and developing in such a way that it would benefit the people that lived and worked there, right? It just seemed to everyone here, that just seemed like, you know, no matter what your point of view was, no matter how old you were, your background, your education, everyone agreed with that. That just seemed sort of self-evident to everyone here, even though the community was in decline. So that's that was one of the things when, 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 when my wife and I moved out here, we weren't, we weren't treated as outsiders um, or gentrifiers. Um, or intruders, they, they, it was a neighborhood that was in trouble and they saw us as someone coming in who had limited resources but that were, wanted to help the, help the neighborhood, right? Like take an old abandoned building that the city was probably going to tear down and fix it up and live there. They, they thought that's great. That's why they embraced us as neighbors. And it was kind of that spirit. And I think that the... The organizing effort that that NAG took on later on, I think, couldn't have that kind of a the sense that we were entitled, that we had a right to fight for our neighborhood. I think wouldn't have happened if there hadn't been these earlier fights and this earlier sense that there was something of value here that needed to be recognized and and promoted and supported, right? Um, and that was what the neighborhood. The neighborhood—it was something. It was—it was quite extraordinary, you know. Um, and then there, and then the, you know, the the st the, the 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 stores that were here, um, and the storefronts that were that were open. A lot of them were abandoned when we moved here, but they were all very small uh, operations, oftentimes run by the people who owned the buildings. Um, they served the local community. Um, whatever their service was, was a restaurant. Um, there was actually a, 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 a pigeon uh, a pigeon food. It was a, there was a guy who, who ran out of a storefront. He sold pigeon food to, to people who, who uh, had pigeons on their rooftops, right? Because there were so many of them in this neighborhood and in other neighborhoods in Brooklyn. That was his, that was his sole uh, business. And so he was supporting the, the needs of the local neighborhood. Um, so it was this, there, was, there was something really valuable there that, uh, later on, NAG recognized, I think in the community planning process, the organizers in Greenpoint and, and Williamsburg recognized. And it was, that's, I think, the, the thing that, you know, looking back on it, 
it's there was a sense of, of there was a the sense there was of some possibility that that could, what what our vision was could actually happen, that a community of of low and moderate income people could actually sort of dictate their own destiny. You know that you know maybe that was very naive. Um, but there was a sense that that could actually happen, and I think that was kind of the motivation and nag. And then later on, with the community planning process, also the organizations that grew up in Greenpoint, I think shared that same point of view. Um, yeah, but uh, but the forces there were forces much larger than than us that 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 began to you know fall into place. Um, the city had a very different vision. You know, big. Big money began to, you know, it was no longer local. You know, when we moved out here, whatever development took place, it was kind of like on the level that we were operating, right? People with, with maybe some energy and little resources were fixing up a, their, their own buildings so they could live and work there, right? There was that kind of development. To me, that seemed like a wonderful model for de- how to develop a community. Um, you know, there wouldn't there, that doesn't entail or necessitate displacing people, right? Um, but the city had a very different view. A big money came into the neighborhood and you could see that, you know, the, then the, 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 the gentrification process started to escalate and accelerate and, um, you know, it's a completely different neighborhood now. So all, so all of that, that sense of, uh, you know, the sense of a neighborhood working together for everyone's benefit. I mean, it sounds almost, sounds idealistic and very naive when I say it now, but. They're really, that was really, people really believed that and they really fought for that. And it was really sort of the source of the energy of the early organizing efforts. Um, I, I think, so something was lost in this process, right? And, you know, that's why, that's why I actually think your, your project is important because I think, you know, it, it, you know something was lost, right, in, 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 the, in the real world, but it's good to, I think, to, to record that history because... I don't. I think the the ideals that we had. I don't think have been lost. I think people still. So I think people still. That sort of resonates with people. Those ideas, right? Um, so it's good to it's good to have some, you know, that your history project, right, kind of. Sim, it symbolizes and recognizes that, those those efforts and and the and the ideals that were behind that. Well, what do you think are the pressing environmental issues around here now? That's a great question. Um, I'm I'm a little bit out of the loop now, um, so you probably I probably best to talk to others. You know, is there anything that influences you on the day to day in your neighborhood? I mean, I know that environmentally, you have a lot more people, cars, things like that. Is there anything in particular that, that strikes you as really different? Yes, yeah, so to me, you know, it's the development. I, you know, like I don't want to say, you know, look, it is this, the, the community developed as, you know, developed the way it developed. Uh, there, there are certainly some benefits from it. There's more services, there's more restaurants. Um, we, have an ac- we have access to our waterfront now. Um, uh, you know, but for me, it's, uh, you know, the, de- you know, the, Developments, the idea that you know, big retailers and you know, national, um, you know, 
national, international even, or businesses, you know, moved into the neighborhood that, that you have kind of a, uh, you know, it's a beginning in some parts of the neighborhood that the, the street life sort of looks like it, you could be anywhere in any other city, you know, in the United States or elsewhere. You know, to me that, to me that's a, that's kind of an environmental issue, you know, in, the, in my own terms, I suppose. But there's nothing you could, there's nothing you can do about that. It's not as if, it's, it's not going to change. Um, um, so it, you know, I guess I guess you know more realistically what the what what are the issues? Um, and that's a great question. I'm not sure, but I don't you know I don't I don't have any. There's nothing. I guess there's nothing really you know. It, there's nothing really pressing environmentally. It, it seems to me in a neighborhood in terms that we in the terms that we uh, were addressing them in the past. I mean, it's no longer environmental justice is no longer an issue over here. So maybe you did your job with NAG. What's that? <laughs> maybe you did your job with NAG. Well, like we did and we didn't, you know, we, cause we didn't want to just close down a garbage transfer station. We wanted to do much more, um, you know, so, you know, yeah. Um, so how long were you with NAG? Um, let's see, I guess it started in 1994. I, um, we, we, we were a volunteer organization for a couple of years, um, but then we formalized, you know, we, meaning that we raised money through foundations and private donations. And I was, I initially was, so I was initially hired as the first executive director. I don't know when that took place, 96 or something like that. And I was there for quite a while. I recall I was like there for a decade or so, you know, so I, I I ran and ran. I say I, 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 I say ran because it was never it wasn't like a top down organization. I was an executive director in the sense that I was we had a couple of hired you know, myself and there was there was a couple other hired staff people here and there and we had projects, funded projects. Um, yeah, so I was with them f I, I worked there for ten years on a variety of issues. You know, we after the community planning process ended, we continued to work, you know, on other issues. Mm -hmm. yeah. All right. All right. Well, thank you so much oh. for your sharing your story with me oh, today. Oh, sure. Thanks for asking me. Yeah. <laughs>